Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Persons Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are your enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate. For more information about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. To call in tonight with your comment or question, dial 515-602-9655. The number, again, is 515-602-9655. of the Four Persons Podcast, and we are really excited tonight. We have a special guest, and I want to make sure I get his name right. Is it Simmons or Simons? Simmons. Simmons. Okay. Yes. Kevin Simmons is with us. He is an expert on Marian apparitions, which is a subject near and dear to my heart. Um, Sir, I want to talk first about there seems to be one event in particular that gets a lot of emphasis um, from you, and that's Fatima, and for good reason. Uh, Fatima is one uh, one of the more famous ones, and you've written a number of books about Fatima and other subjects. Why don't we start there? Why don't we talk about your books? Sure. Well, I've only written one book about Fatima, but it's currently going in its second edition. Uh, so we're preparing that as we speak. I actually just got the letters printed today and got it shipped off to my diocese for the imprimatur in Nihil Amstad. So that's Fantastic. good. We are moving up. <laughs> and what are your other works? The other books are Refractions of Light. 201 um, Answers on Apparitions, Visions, in the Catholic Church. Uh, title pretty much says it all there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then the, the other book is Pope Leo XIII and the Prayer to St. Michael. And that's all about Leo's famous vision. Did he even have one? How do we know? What, what, was, it, what was the contents of said vision? Questions like that, because there's been so many rumors. And I was like, you know, I want to get to the bottom of this. And there it is. The only one of its kind. Now, what I had heard about that was it was a it was a locution. I had heard that he he is that is that correct? It was a locution and not a vision. There are so many different versions of the story, but generally speaking, the general interpretation was that it was an actual vision in which people saw okay. as well as heard something. Yeah, okay. but there's different versions out there. But because it's you know, as well, as the story keeps passing, it changes. You know. Okay. Before we continue, tell our audience how they can get your books. They're available on Amazon. They, you can also get the links are direct through my website, kevinsimmons.com, K-E-V-I-N-S-Y-M-O-N-D-S.com. There's a like tabs towards the top of the webpage, and you can see like about me, contact, and then books and writings. 
So you can find the links there. Or just type my name in on Amazon, and they'll come up for you. Okay. So now getting back to the subject of, of Marian apparitions, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there. And in 1978, the Vatican actually issued a directive uh, to kind of walk us through the process of studying these types of events and um, mm-hmm. how they're approved and everything. Why don't you walk us through the process? First of all, it starts with a local ordinary, right? That's the first step. It does, yes. Um, and then there, then it can go to the local Episcopal conference. And then from there, if, if necessary, it can also go to the Vatican. And uh, those norms that, that were published, there's some history there, but there's also some great misunderstanding surrounding them. So hopefully we can clarify that a little bit tonight. Yeah, that's it, exactly. I believe it was in February. Yeah, I believe it was in February of 1978. The there, so just before the death of Pope Paul VI, um, there had been some interest among the uh, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith to have a set of norms because these claims were starting to proliferate throughout the Catholic world. And then with the advancement of social media, even back then, before you know. Telegram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, you know, they just had like television and radio uh, in those days for the most part. And so, but people were, you know, the world was was slowly but surely um, shrinking in a sense. And so news was spreading around the world faster. So the fathers of the CDF thought that it was opportune to have a set of norms, but they weren't published publicly. They were given to the local ordinary, uh, to, to ordinaries throughout the world, usually bishops, but not exclusively so, uh, under, under canon law. Uh, but they they were given privately these norms, and it, it was a document called Norme Sacre Congregationis, or NC for short, and it means Norms of the Sacred Congregation. And uh, the reason why or the generally accepted reason why these norms were published uh, privately among the bishops, but not publicly was that um, they were meant only for the ordinaries. They were not meant for the, the late, you know, for your, for, for everybody. So they were kind of kept mm-hmm. under lock and key because they just, you know, when you read them for, for all, for, for the average layman, it's just like, okay, why are you showing me this? <laughs> Right, right. Um, so there's some, there's some debate that could happen there as to whether or not that was a good idea, but that's what happened nonetheless. And right, so I gotcha. they were kind of they were kind of rumored, hinted at. People kind of knew about it. There were some you know drip, drip, drip in various publications over the years, but nobody actually ever saw them until um, around 2010. I was actually able to get a copy of the original Latin. It had appeared in other places, uh, citations, like there was a gentleman in Japan. Um, uh, uh, I think I, I, I don't know if he was a layman or a priest. I think he was a priest uh, with the last name of Fukushima, I believe. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He wrote a book on a particular apparition called Akita uh, there in Japan, and he had mm-hmm. some citations. I think he had the original Latin in there too uh, with an English translation. But either which way, so between him, there was a Frenchman, uh, Monsieur Joaquin Boufflet, who had also had the text, and then Donald Anthony Foley over in England. He had published uh, a, an English translation based upon 
Boufflet's French translation. Uh, so we had known generally what they were, but nobody had original copy of the, nobody had published the original Latin. Um, but I got a hold of the Latin around 2010, and I worked on it with a couple of other people to publish an English translation for the first time direct from the Latin. And I think that came uh, somewhere between 2010 and 2011. I have to go back and look that up now. It's been so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but then about a year later, the Vatican had uh, decided to publish the whole document and in various translations, I think it was uh, French, Italian, uh, German, you know, the major Romance languages. Um, and that was in May, I think, of 2012. Right. Uh, so now everybody everybody knew publicly what they were and what it was all about, and people could study it more. So well, that's some of the general history of it. Right. But just for clarification – even though, mm-hmm. for reasons that I don't fully understand, it took that long for it to be published, that doesn't mean that the Vatican wasn't following those norms. They were, they were in fact, following the procedures that were set out in that document, correct? Oh, absolutely. They can't, they, yeah. There was no way that the Vatican couldn't do that. Right. Okay, you so know, I want to get into kind of, the, I want to kind of get into the kind of some of the meat and potatoes of. You, you brought up Donald Anthony Foley, and I read his book, 600-page book, uh, Medjugorje Complete. We'll, we'll get into that particular event later, but I, I'm bringing it up because I was struck about what a meticulous writer he is because he had over 100 pages of footnotes in that book. I've never seen somebody so you know meticulous to detail, so I just wanted to mention, mention that. Mm-hmm. Oh no, no! It's a, he's 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 the top writer, and I, I say this unabashedly. His book is the best in English that we have. Now I'm a bit biased because I I helped him in the editing of that book, both both of the second as well as the third editions. Uh, so maybe some would consider me biased, but I believe wholeheartedly that that book is the best in English because it's the most comprehensive. What would you think about somebody that referred to him as a member of the Peanut Gallery? That's <laughs> just so absurd. I mean, uh, just... I don't know who would say that, but they obviously don't know Donald Foley, and that's an extreme right. insult. I would say that that person that said that is probably uh, very ignorant, with all due respect. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I think I've known Foley a, for years. I think that's a, a very, very good characteristic, extremely ignorant uh, of this person to say this. Um, so I want to. What I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of lay out my understanding from what I've studied and what I've learned, and and I'm always subject to correction if my information is correct, uh, incorrect. So correct me if if my if any part of my in understanding is incorrect. So my understanding when it comes to private revelations of which Marian apparitions are a part, uh, my understanding mm-hmm. is they they basically fall into three different categories which are treated. Uh, three different ways, and that's that those that are considered to be worthy of belief, in which case the Catholic can be in good standing, is not required to believe them, but can't really publicly disparage them either if the church has, has publicly declared them uh, to be worthy of belief. And the second category is those that are 
no decision has been handed down. They're still under study, under review, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the third category are those that have received a negative judgment. And under negative judgment, my understanding is there's two categories, and that is that one is that the supernatural nature cannot be established, and the second is the super the non-supernatural nature has been established. And for an event that has received that is currently under a negative judgment, you are not allowed to promote that. You can you can say privately or or even publicly that you know you have thoughts that you believe that it might be true and that eventually you think the church may uh, may rule that is true and you can have those private opinions but you cannot publicly promote or claim that said event is true now kevin is anything that i said there inaccurate I think it needs a little fine-tuning. You've got the basic nuts and bolts and the gist of things, but I think this little fine-tuning would probably be in order. Okay. Um, in the tradition of the Latin church, um, a.k.a. You know, Catholicism, uh, there are three categories, and they are known popularly by their Latin names, uh, Constat Supernaturalitate, and then constat, obviously non-constat the, the supernaturalitate, and then constat de non-supernaturalitate. Now, the, the, they are, and they are grouped into two categories, positive and negative. And one of those, either of those, you know, any of those three go into one or the other category. But there's only one that goes into the positive category, and that's con, that's constat de supernaturalitate. That's basically your approval uh, of of an alleged private revelation, um, and it means consists of the supernatural or supernatural established. In other words, the church has investigated, and she has. Uh, come to the conclusion that these uh, revelations are in fact authentic um, and uh, with, with some caveats I, I, I still, but, um, but they are, you know, there's no, um, how should I say? The best way to explain it is just that the, the church has looked at it and said, yep, this looks to have, you know, looks to be authentic. So if people are free okay. to believe it, if they wish. They're not okay. obliged, okay. But, so they let, are, let me, but, they, but they are able to. All right, so let me jump in right right there, and let's just call the, just for the purposes of our discussion today, let's call those the top shelf, okay? Because there have been literally thousands of reported, uh, alleged private revelations over the years, including Marian apparitions, but most of those do not make that top shelf. Most of them don't. In fact, uh, by my study, what I have studied is that only 25 have reached that level, 16 at the bishop's level, and nine at the Vatican level. Uh, are, are the, do you agree with those numbers? It sounds about right. I don't have the exact figures in front of me, okay. but it sounds about right. It, it, and it's and the some names is, that are on that list. Yeah, some names that are on that list, obviously, Fatima, 
Lourdes, uh, Guadalupe, uh, Akita, Mount Carmel, uh, Rudabak. Uh, those were some of the names that are that are on that on that top shelf. Correct? Yes. Okay. And then there's you know a whole bunch of uh, and and uh, one of them I would say probably the most recent one that's on that list would be Batania, Venezuela, correct? 1987? That sound right? I don't know if China has been formally approved. Uh, I'd have to look at I'd have to look that up. One of the best resources for a quick lookup for these for that kind of information is Michael O'Neill, the Miracle Hunters website. He has a he has marshaled a lot of those resources. And, and Batania is yeah. is listed as approved on that site, and it's also listed as approved on the Ascension, uh, the Ascension uh, they do the Ascension Bible on their site. It's also Mike. I guess it's Mike Schmidt, uh, Father Mike Schmidt's organization. So Batania okay. is listed as approved on both of those. So I guess that would uh, that would say that it is among that list. I just brought it out because gotcha. that's. Probably I guess I have most... to update my database. <laughs> okay. Um, and then there's then there's you know some that are clearly on the on the bad list. Uh, you know, one that comes right off the the top. Uh, you know, is Bayside, New York, is clearly on the list of you know do not touch it, stay away from it. An interesting one, and uh, I walked away from an apostolate because they were they were promoting events that they shouldn't have been promoting. And the interesting thing was one of them, the Vatican actually issued a directive not to promote Our Lady of All Nations, the the alleged events in Amsterdam, after it had been, uh, it had received, I think it was four negative judgments from the bishops, and the Vatican backed that up. So now the reason why I bring that up that is one actually has up... a very interesting that one has a very interesting history. Um, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy some competency to discuss that subject if you'd like to jump into that at some point. Okay. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll table that until later on in the discussion and we'll come come back to it. But the, the, where I'm going with uh-huh. this question is okay. Let's say apparition apparition X receives a negative judgment. By the by, the mm-hmm. local bishop, uh, mm-hmm. and the uh, the Vatican either upholds that negative judgment, or they kind of just pocket it, because I've noticed sometimes the Vatican would just be silent on it. Uh, in that case, that negative judgment holds, right? You you're bound by that negative judgment, correct? Yes, if the local ordinary has judged uh, an apparition or any other private any other private revelation in any form to be negative, um, in this case, meaning not supernatural, that's generally what we mean by not negative, but more than what we mean by negative, then yes, uh, barring any kind of intervention from a higher authority, people are are bound. They have to, or they. I mean, yeah, they. Now it gets a little tricky canonically. Uh, when you have, like, let's say this happened here in my diocese, but somebody from, you know, five states over hears about it and wants to come visit, you know, it gets a little tricky there because the local bishop here doesn't have authority over somebody five states away, you know. Um, but this is where the rule of charity comes in and unity with the church. If the local bishop 
of that you know of that area has said, no, people five states over should have the presence of mind and the wherewithal and the faith to say we probably shouldn't go do this. Right. But it's not like there's a police force, you know, to and, and there's been <laughs> sometimes there's been some cases where the local bishop was was uh, quite adamant. Don't come here. <laughs> Don't come here. Don't celebrate yeah. mass here. The the events in San Damiano is one that uh, really uh, jumps out at me as one where the where the bishop was was you know especially forceful. So I want to get into one in particular that just it just baffles me how it keeps this one continues to have life uh, because the first bishop Bishop Zonich. Uh, held a commission that did rule that the supernatural uh, uh, nature of the event could not be affirmed. He had a second commission that came to the second, the same conclusion. Uh, his successor, Bishop Perrick, uh, led a commission that came to the same conclusion, and then it was elevated to the national level where the bishops voted 19 to 0. And I, I want to ask you, because I haven't been able to find this. Maybe you know the answer to this. I don't know if Bishop Perrick was one of those 19 bishops that voted 19 to 0. Was he on the, on the National uh, Commission? I would, I would have to look up that. I mean, I'm, that's, that's no one's asked me that specific of a question before regarding Bishop Perrick. Okay. I know he, he became the bishop of Mostaduzno. Uh, succeeding Zonich in 1993, I think it was, and I right. think Parrish is now retired, uh, or yes. very, very close to retirement. No, um, he did. He did retire. Yeah. So he, yeah, he was. So if he was a bishop in 1991, he would have been a bishop there in Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia, unless uh, the Holy See had him somewhere else. But I think right. he was there at the time. So he would have been a member of the local conference. Okay. And then his successor, after he did retire, and I, I believe it was just a few years ago that he retired, uh, his, the current right. bishop, the current bishop, who is his, his successor, although he did not lead a formal commission when questioned about the events in Medjugorje, he, he said that he agreed with his two successors. So now – all of the bishops have have ruled against this thing. Uh, the you know the Vatican looked into it. They got the Ruini report, uh, which was a, a non-binding uh, you know op opinion piece. Basically, it was not received very well by the CDC or by the Pope. And here we are six years later. The Ruini Commission report has not been adopted or approved. So we're still under that 1991 bishop's ruling. So Medjugorje is under a negative judgment by the criteria that we just talked about. Why are people still promoting this event? That is a very complicated answer. There are different schools of thought on it, I suppose one could say. I tend to be of one's, one particular interpretation, but... I'm open to, I mean, I, I, it, there's so many things that one could say about it. Um, but first, yes, the part of the problem with 
Medjugorje has been the the propaganda machine that's been coming out of that place. Uh, there have been some people who have been, or and or groups or individuals who have been pushing a narrative, pushing this for a very long time. Uh, Donald Foley, I know, talks about in his book that uh, the influence of the charismatic movement or and or renewal. Uh, some people also talk about the influence of the, of the local Franciscans and the war that they've had with the diocese that resulted in the um, uh, intervention of the Holy See in the 1970s. So there's different things that people could point towards. But one thing I think is pretty well established in the literature at this point is that there's been a lot of bad blood in that area of, of, of Europe. A lot of bad blood. And I think that the propaganda that gets pushed out of Medjugorje has had not a small influence upon how people perceive the place. So, for example, in the 1980s, the investigation began with Bishop Zanich. And in the mid-80s, he started talking to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in Rome. Uh, and of course, at the time, the the, the, pref the prefecture of um, of Joseph Ratzinger, later Benedict XVI. Well, when Zanich had presented the information to the Holy See, Ratzinger uh, thought it was all good and, and done, et cetera, et cetera, and he encouraged uh, work to be done with with this particular case of Medjugorje. Uh, at the local Episcopal level, comp Episcopal conference level. Well, <laughs> what happened after that was the propaganda machine did its work and people spun a tale of Cardinal Ratzinger strip Bishop Zanich of his authority to judge Medjugorje. And that, I mean, that became par for the course. I mean, I'm a convert. I've been a Catholic now since... March of 1997. I, I, the, I mean, I've, I've heard this for years upon years, this story of Ratzinger stripping Zanich of his authority. Well, the problem with that interpretation was that, first of all, it just wasn't true. And here's how you can tell it wasn't true. If that kind of an event happens, that has to be done canonically, and that's a paper trail. Show me the document that says Zanich was stripped of his authority to judge Medjugorje by Ratzinger himself. Right. It doesn't you know exist. The, you know what the most ironic thing about that, though, Kevin, to me, the most ironic thing about that is that not only did Cardinal Ratzinger not act to remove Bishop, Bishop Zanich or Bishop Perrick, but he did act to remove some of the prominent priests who were involved in the Medjugorje situation on the other side. Uh, I believe it was a total of five priests were excommunicated, defrocked, and exiled. Is that correct? I don't know the exact number, but I know there was the Herzegovina affair with, uh, with their, those two priests who were close to Vishka, uh, the alleged visionary Vishka. And then there was Father Tomislav Lasic, that who that, that was a bit more recent under the pontificate of Benedict XVI, a.k.a. Ratzinger, 
Um, so you, gradually, bit by bit, some of this stuff gets to be exposed, but the Medjugorje, the, the pro-Medjugorje people don't want to talk about that. I have a, I have a personal story, if I may, that, that reflects this, yeah. if, 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 if I may. Yeah. Please. I think it was April of 2003. I was getting ready to graduate with my bachelor's degree in theology um, from Franciscan University, and they had a couple of people from the Oasis of Peace community, I think it was there in Medjugorje, come to the university and give a, a talk. Um, I, I have their names still uh, in my private archives. I can only remember the priest's name, but the I, – I, I, I won't name anybody at the moment, but um, they came and gave a talk, and there was also time for questions and answers. And by this point, I was our, I was well on my way to questioning Medjugorje, not believing it, and realizing some things because my eyes had been opened um, mm-hmm. due, to the, due to the work of Richard Sabato of Unity Publishing uh, on the subject of Medjugorje. And so I was asking questions about stuff. And I remember them like saying like, – when I was bringing up some of this, shall we say, sordid history – and asking questions, they were just like, they actually said to me, and this is pretty much a direct quote, uh, like, we're, we can't focus on that. Our job is to focus on the messages. Pretty much a direct quote. Wow. And I'm looking, I'm looking at them and I'm like, I think you've got your procedure a bit backwards. You're putting the cart before the horse. You are presuming the authenticity of these alleged messages. Your premise is flawed. I cannot focus upon the message if I have reason to believe that it is, as they say in contemporary internet speak, sus. You know, Mm -hmm. that's very quite very suspect. You know, and it is. Their methodology was backwards. They were put in the cart before the horse. And I, I think I said something to that effect. And no matter what they said, you know, I, 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 I wasn't trying to be like the insufferable little know-it-all or something, but it was just like, what? no, like you guys came here to give a presentation to give your sales pitch for Medjugorje. And with just a couple of questions, your, your, whole pre- your whole thing is falling flat on its face. And you expect me to believe Medjugorje? Right. And you can't answer simple questions? Right. You know, I and, wasn't and trying no, to be rude. No, no, you're absolutely right. But the whole process becomes circular, becomes circular. Um, Very circular. It's a, it's a, it's in philosophy, it's called a vicious circularity. Yeah, and I've noticed that. It's a very bad vicious circularity. I, I noticed uh, there was one prominent uh, Catholic apologist. Uh, I'm not, not going to mention him by name because I don't have permission. But there was one ca- a prominent Catholic apologist who made the observation, and I know this is just anecdotal, but my anecdotal experience has been that his observation was dead on point, and that is that to a Medjugorje enthusiast, they will become more irate if you question Medjugorje than if you question Fatima. It almost becomes like a it almost becomes like a like a Gnostic movement uh, built on this emotional idea that. 
that if you yeah. question Medjugorje or you question the authenticity of Medjugorje, well, you're attacking the Virgin Mother. And that's what I mean by this, yeah, by this I've, circular. I've experienced I've gotten I've gotten I've gotten called the spawn of Satan before because for for, for such things and I, I think it wasn't in the context of the Medjugorje discussion actually now that I really sit and think about it uh, to this day that's still one of my my favorite laughable titles spawn of Satan uh, and it's like it's just because I ask questions and I and I'm not with the, and I'm not on board with this and I'm like well you know folks uh, you know it was um, one writer was in, he was in a one Catholic writer on Medjugorje. He he referred to it as spiritual crack candy, and people yeah. are addicted to this crack. Yeah. And when I see what's coming out of Medjugorje, there's nothing really a substance. But it, it's the same thing with the alleged monthly messages. Blah, dear children, blah blah blah. Filler filler jam smudge here. You know, thank you for having responded to my call. Right. You know, these things have been edited. It, it, you know, it, it, there's no one really knows really. I know at one point there was some kind of a brouhaha a few years ago. It was kept very much under wraps. They 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 squelched it pretty quickly. But I, I I had enough of my ears to the ground at the time, following the case a little bit more closely, where it was either uh, uh, Mariana Maria or or um, uh, or Vishka's alleged monthly, yearly, whatever message it was, Christmas thing. Something got squelched, uh, and it, it got like recalled, as, as it were, because supposedly it wasn't authenticated. Or I, I can't remember all of the details. It was years, yeah. ten years ago. But but the the the, the long and short of it is, um, there's there are too many red flags. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned the Ruini Commission earlier. I was the one who translated the summary in, of the Ruini Rep- Commission's reports into English. That oh, really? Me. Oh really? If you have found so, that, if you found the summary online, you will likely probably looking at uh, either my translation of it or or a derivative of mine, like somebody else made their own, but maybe looked at mine and maybe made some corrections or something. Okay. Um, so I'm glad but, that we have you on this uh, on the show. So uh, I want you to answer some some you know because I've read the the you know what the English translation that you refer to. But and I tell people what's in it, and they and they don't they don't want to hear it. It's like you said, they don't want to hear it. Uh, one of the things that, that oh, like that's, Yvonne is a liar. The Ruiz yeah. Commission openly called them a liar. I'm like, they're, oh my goodness, all, you know. And they're they're all going through the motions. They're actors going through the motions, and uh, and they're all addicted to money. And that's the so, I mean, just contrast the fact that all six visionaries are multimillionaires. Off of Medjugorje funds, and then well, I'm originally from Massachusetts. I I I was born mm-hmm. and raised not too far from from Peabody, Massachusetts, which yeah. is where the alleged visionary Yvonne has an eight hundred thousand dollar house, and he he paid I, off the mortgage in uh in like anywhere between eleven and fourteen months. The guy has yeah. no job. I hear now and it's I don't think valued wife, at one point five million. He married, he married a beauty queen, and I don't think that she had that kind of money from her days as being a beauty queen. Right. So, uh, and I'm not casting. I'm trying. To, I'm not trying to cast aspersions upon upon her doing that. I'm just simply saying I don't think they had that kind of money. Uh, right. So they're getting it from somewhere. And I mean, if this was. I mean, there was there was an Italian website many years ago. Um, the in the in, in, in 
in no the pertinacious abbot I think something like that. Um, that would be the English translation of the Italian website. They dug into the property records, like actual herds. And this this was like I mean many years ago, somewhere between like 2005 and 2010, I think they did this. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 got these public records, and they 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 should they told the story. How does a guy with no job get an $800,000 house and a mortgage and have it paid off within, I think it was 13 months, I want to say? Yeah. How? You know, so, and and then, of course, uh, then a few years later, around 2015 or so, and this was when Archbishop Vigano was still the nuncio to to these United States, there was that, um, that order from Rome that they can't be appearing publicly. Doing their, you know, their apparitions on demand. Right. Well, they're still doing it to this day. Yeah. They're still doing it, and I don't believe that prohibition has been lifted. Well, the interesting thing so, is, um, still you talked about social media, and we actually broke a story on this show because um, the apparitions, the events in Medjugorje, had kind of started to fizzle out after the 1991 decision. But then the kind of the explosion of the internet, the explosion of social media and the glossy photos and everything kind of gave it new life. And the uh, the owner of the largest uh, Medjugorje website in the world, that's not under any diocese, it's not under any, any church jurisdiction, it's a privately owned, privately run website. We actually had the brother of the developer of that website on and and he basically testified that he saw one of these events with Ivan and he said it was the biggest circus act he'd ever seen in his life uh, and he said that his you know his brother has unapologetically said that he's he's made millions off of it uh so it you know it's a, a, what was it bishop andreas uh, Gemma said that it's a, a diabol absolutely diabolical a deception made of the devil's dung, so money. Well, you just well, you just whew, you just brought up a, an old name. I don't hear that. I don't hear Bishop Andreas's name mentioned too much these days. That article got squelched really quick. I don't even know if it's still around. The website, I think, it was Petrus was the website, if I remember correctly. That website went down many years ago. So unless you had the links stored somewhere in a you know in a in a fragment in, a, in another article. And can access it to the Internet Archive Wayback Machine. Uh, I mean, not a lot of people know what Bishop Gamma had said. They just don't. But I re- I remember that pump. That was around 2008, as I recall. I remember yep. that. That was that was big news. Yep. Now the interesting thing here, and, and I didn't want to, de- to devote the whole show to Medjugorje, but the interesting thing here, the point that uh, that really needs to be made is, you don't have to read. 40,000 messages and go in and, and, and look at the fact that there's no miracles, that there's no medical experiments that have been verified, there's no prophecies that have been fulfilled, there's no miraculous cures. You don't have to put all the time and effort to go in and, and look at that and see if this is something that should be followed or not. All you have to do is follow the church. I mean, that's basically what it all boils down to. If we follow, If we're obedient to the authority of the church, then we know that Medjugorje is false. It's not complicated, and 
that's really why I wanted to have you on the, on the show is because at the end of the day, to know the false events from the true events, it really boils down to nothing more than that, just following the leadership of the church, right? The issue becomes what happens when things are not clear with that for whatever reason. You know, so for uh, get perfect example, the church historically in the past on Medjugorje has said that, you know, you can't go to Medjugorje uh, presuming it to be authentic, to be, because you're, in other words, like pre, preempting the church's judgment. Right. That has been a statement that has been said. But people still go anyway because they sit there and they don't understand what that means. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, why else would you go to Medjugorje to get to soak in some sun? Yeah, I mean, why else do you go to this out-of-the-way place in a war-torn country? I, I speak more because I, I, I was in Medjugorje in the 1990s. I still remember, you know, going by the, the soldiers and the tanks and, you know, and, um, and stuff in our tour bus, you know. Uh, it's like, why would you do this? Why would you spend oodles and oodles of money to go on, on, these, on this trip if you don't believe that it's supernatural in origin? Right. Why? You know? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It, I know, it, it doesn't. And I know other people turn around and they also ask me, well, Kevin, if it's the devil doing this stuff in Medjugorje, you know, like, what could he possibly gain from that? Well, actually, right. there's a lot that he, he, he could gain from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I have, a little, I have a little routine I walk people through with that, actually. Yeah, I like what Bishop Sheen said. The devil's not going to show up in a red tail and tights. <laughs> he's, a, he's a lot more smooth than that. And, and, and um, you know, because most of the messages of Medjugorje are not really harmful, most of them. They're this Hallmark, Cardish kind of, you know, sentimentality they're they're not really particularly edifying. But that is or, no. You know, I, 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 you're, I beg to differ. You, you're, I, I would dare say, with all due respect, you are mistaken. Uh, that actually is bad because it betrays the crooked nature of all of this. So it's helpful because it shows the crooked nature, but it's bad because this is what people are ingesting in their spiritual lives. Oh no, I and agree so with in you. Fact, it's actually more like poison. So no, I agree that. with you in that respect. I, I do. We're, we're on the same page. What the the point that I was trying to make is that the the messages from Medjugorje that are just outright heretical exist, but they're not the overwhelming majority of them. There, but there are some outright you know heresies that have come out of out of, out of Medjugorje. Uh, but the point that I'm trying to make is you don't have to sift through all of those messages. All you have to do is just follow the follow the the, 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 the teaching of the church and you know, you've had all of these messages that have come out, you've had all of these uh, supposed visions, and yet forty years later we have no published uh, medical experiments that can be verified, no peer-reviewed data. You have no established miracles, no established miraculous cures. 
and yet people, like you said, are still clinging to this event. I, I, I can't grasp it. Well, it's it's things that boggle the mind, but a lot of people they just don't know, because I, I in this case I I turn and point to the propaganda machine. People just don't know about some of these events. Like you know, Ivan has been caught in lies, um, and, and, and deliberate. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Deliberate um, obfuscation of the truth. There was one story involved. Yeah, deception. There was one thing that involved him in some letter. Uh, they the, the when they were investigating things, they went to the other. They went to the Ivan was away. I think he was studying to be a priest at the time. I want to say. And so he was away from, from the other five. And they went to the children, or the other five visionary, alleged visionaries, and uh, had asked them to uh, do something, say something, or about write something down. And uh, at first they agreed, but it wasn't going to happen right away. But then they came back either shortly thereafter or the next day, something like that. And they were able to... The, the claim goes they were able to talk to their handlers, and all of a sudden the stories changed to, well, right. uh, the gospel doesn't want us to write that down. Right. Yeah. Well, the investigators <laughs> went to go to Yvonne, who was away from the alleged handlers, and he was like, yeah, sure, in a bomb. He writes it down on a piece of paper and puts it in an envelope and gives it over, and it was sealed, whatever, and, and then he found out, supposedly – the other what had happened to the other five, and then he turned around and said, "Yeah, if you open it up, it's just a blank piece of paper. I didn't write anything huh. down." Well, wow. The commission people, the, the 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 delegates there, they open it up, and there's the document clearly in Yvonne's own handwriting, <laughs> explaining. I think it was what the alleged miracle was uh, that was going to take place in Medjugorje. I, I and it, it, so he clearly got showed up to be a liar, right? But people don't know about this stuff because it's not, it's not in the major history books. The, you the have to go to people like videos. Father Evo Seedmeach and, 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 uh, and, and, and Foley's book. Right. The video of Bitchka where she's caught faking the apparition. She jumps. Uh, you know, when the guy does this Three Stooges thing, posts the fingers at her, and she jumps out of the way. So obviously when she said she wasn't aware of anything but the Virgin Mary, obviously that wasn't false. And then uh, was it true? And then she comes back and says that Mary was about to drop the baby Jesus. <laughs> At that point, it's just I, like I still, I, no one would have believed that if um, if that Frenchman had not gotten that on film, nobody would have believed it. Nobody. Right. And thank goodness he made it available to Louis Belanger, who then uh, up there in Canada, who then put it out there on the internet for everybody to see. Yeah. You know, I know Marco Corvalia has done some good work. That doesn't go down the memory hole. I know I, 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 it still just galls me. I can't remember the Frenchman's name who recorded that, but he, he didn't even he didn't know the video. He didn't know the camcorder was still running, and she yeah. didn't know that the camera was still running. That's how it, it was completely unscripted, so to speak. But yeah, right. she went out of the room, talked to one of the Franciscan handlers. And that, and then you know, came back with I think with that Franciscan said, oh yeah, I thought that the virgin, the gospel's going to drop the baby Jesus. It's like, excuse me, yeah. the Holy Mother of God was going to drop the, the eternal Son of God. Mary's seed of wisdom was going to what? Yeah. You know, and and and, and, and the, 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 the ironic thing about it, 
the ironic thing about it, Kevin, is if you question that, they accuse you of blaspheming Our Lady. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. We're the ones that are defending Our Lady. That's the very definition of projection. Yeah, That's the very definition of projection, as far as I'm concerned. You're absolutely right. It is projection. So I want to go real and quick. I, I've, seen, I've seen a video recently where somebody was trying to defend this. I won't say who it was, but I, I just I, I just facepalmed it. I, I, I had to shut the video off because I was like, I can't even just – this is just so absurd and outlandish. And I was listening. It was a woman talking in an interview, and I was just like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You need to learn your theology, ma'am, because – I don't think you understand what's a, what you're talking about right now. Right. You know? Absolutely. And I don't mean that rudely. And I'm, not, and I'm not saying, well, just because it's a woman to have – no, I'd say the same thing if it was a, if it was a man. But in this case, right. it would just have to be a woman saying this. Um, in other words, the fact that she was a woman is completely incidental to the point, but still. Yeah. Um, you said a moment ago I, that I just, you it's had – It just boggles me. Yeah. You said a moment ago you had something in particular you wanted to say about Our Lady of All Nations, the Amsterdam – Let's revisit that. Oh, yes. Um, well, I remember when I was researching for some stuff, I came across an essay that uh, then Monsignore Charles Chacluna had written for the 2008 Mariological Congress in Lourdes. And it, it was buried in a footnote in this essay that he had written. But that footnote basically was like the shot that, you know, we said shot across the bow, Mm -hmm. uh, but it went completely unnoticed by and large by by the larger Catholic populace. I couldn't believe what what Shikluna had written in this footnote in this essay. Um, Basically what had happened was in the Amsterdam, alleged apparitions in Amsterdam had been approved by Bishop Marialis Punt. And there were those of us, like myself, who had questioned this for X, Y, Z reasons. But, oh, no, local bishop proved it, blah, blah, blah. You know, I can even remember one of my professors at Steubenville telling us that there was some consultation with, with, the, with, the, with the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith behind all of this. I can actually still remember that conversation right. from that professor. Right. Well, Shakluna, fast forward six years later, he, he – this essay gets gets a, get, he delivers this essay and he's talking about the Vatican norms for discerning private revelations those 1978 norms there, and then in this one footnote, he then basically says that Punt did this without the approval of the CDF, right? The Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith now dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, of course, but and. When you look at this, it was like, wait, Shakluna said what? So I was looking at it was in translation at the time. I subsequently got the original Italian, uh, and it's downstairs in my office. Um, in a box or probably somewhere or on a shelf. I got to look, go look it up. But uh, that was like that was that was a shot across the bow, because up to that point, Shakluna, who worked at the CDF at the time. And did work for them. No, the CDF never said anything about that, but that was an open question. Did did Bishop Punt have the authority to do what he did? 
Well, the answer in the end turned out to be no. And those of us that were aware of the history had that question in our heads. And here's why. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith had issued a notificatio, a notification in the 70s. Backing up the previous bishops, yeah. Backing up the previous bishops who had given a negative judgment. Yeah, and so once the Holy See intervened, only the Holy See could overturn that decision. Right. right. Punt in his declaration never in 2002 never addressed this. He never right. said that I worked it all out with the CDF. Everything's good. We're, we're all playing nice in the sandbox. They're behind me. Go ask them about it if you don't believe me. Nothing like that. So it was an open question. Shakluno 2008, right. boom, makes that comment. And then it um, takes a few more years, but I think it was around 2020, the Vatican itself finally came out with an actual formal statement saying, uh, and yeah. And slapped it down. He yeah. didn't have the – it slapped it down. Yeah, he actually didn't have the authority to do that because, boom, if reasons, you know. And yeah. I, we were – I mean, those of us that were aware of it, just, it was a collective sigh of relief because we were like, oh, thank now, you, Holy See. Finally, it only took you, what, 18 years, you know? <laughs> yeah, but here's where this here's where this is interesting because this previous show that I used to belong to, the guy on there actually stated that that the Vatican had taken the uh, taken the investigation away from the bishop in Medjugorje, and that it was the only time in the history of the church that it happened. Well, number one, not only did it not happen in the case of Medjugorje, but here it did happen in the case of Amsterdam, and this same guy was out promoting, like five months later, he did like three episodes on Our Lady of All Nations, promoting Our Lady of All All Nations, after the Vatican slapped it down. So it just... Now, I wanted to ask you one more question because this was my understanding, so tell me if my understanding is incorrect, but I've researched this, and Amsterdam is a case where you had a bishop attempted to approve the events after it had already been slapped down by, I think, just four other bishops and the Vatican, and he attempted to approve it, and it was overturned. But my understanding is that... There has never been a case in a Marian apparition where a bishop gave a negative judgment, and that negative judgment was overturned by the Vatican. Is that correct? Is that your understanding? Well, some might want to point to the case of the Divine Mercy devotion. Yeah, uh, with, that's, with, why uh, that's, why specified a, that's why I specified Marian apparitions. In the case of a Marian apparition, it has never happened. Is that correct? I don't. I'm going through my brain as best as I know all the cases off the top of my head, and nothing's coming to mind at the at the moment. Not to say that it didn't happen. I just I can't okay. recall a specific case where and, and my the local bishop said no. To, the Vatican overturned it. Yes. Right. Going back to divine mercy, there were some translation issues, right? There were that kind of got that off on the wrong well, that's track. That's a lot of people point towards, but there's been a lot of chatter lately about, uh, especially in one of the more Catholic traditionalist circles, but also um, I think on some of the more liberal reporting, uh, so-called liberal reporting uh, stuff where 
it wasn't just a simple translation issue. So, for instance, when you read the commentary of Cardinal Alfredo Ottaviani uh, in L'Osservatore Romano in the 1950s, and he was referencing this very thing with the, with the, if I remember correctly, the, with the Divine Mercy devotion, uh, there was more to it than just simple translation issues. Mm-hmm. Now, that's been, the oft, that's been the often cited example, but the files are locked away between um, Poland and the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. Ain't nobody going to see those documents for at least another 40, 50 years. Right. I'll probably be long dead by the time that finally becomes available for scholars you to and, study to get the heart both. of all of that. You and me both. Hey, Kevin, I yeah, got a so, I got a caller real quick. I want to bring the caller on for a question real quick. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, this is my friend Lewis. Lewis, go ahead uh, with your question. Lewis, you there? Uh, I guess we lost him. Um, yeah, because he had no. stated to me on a messenger that he wanted to ask a question, but I guess we lost him. Uh, we had a we had a couple of minutes left, uh, Kevin. I know that you're very very um, uh, big on Fatima. Real quick, tell me what are some of your other of, of your just real favorites of the of the major Marian apparitions and why? Well, most of my work is primarily about the Church's theology of private revelation, and so that's a broader focus. But I have taken more of that. Uh, of, a, of a kind of gravitated more towards Fatima lately because uh, I really wanted to get to the heart of all of these controversies around in the third part of the secret of Fatima, such as, you know, the alleged fourth secret hypothesis, you know, the Vatican allegedly covering it up because it condemns Vatican II and all this other crazy stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I believe in Lourdes. Uh, I believe in La Salette. I, I, I think I'm probably closer to La Salette than I am Lords, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I, those are the those are the ones that I kind of are more familiar with or have an interest in. Adam, a Lord, than La Salette. Um, it, it's kind of funny how it all how it, it's funny the why all of that is, I guess, and I haven't really yeah. kind of contemplated all of it. But those those tend to be the three that are of more uh, near and dear to my heart. Okay. Kevin, real quick before we go, I want you to tell our audience uh, once again where they can get uh, the titles of your books and where they can get them, please. Sure. My first book is Refractions of Light, 201 Answers on Apparitions, Visions, in the Catholic Church. Uh, Second one is Pope Leo XIII on the Prayer to St. Michael. And the third is on the third part of the Secret of Fatima. Uh, we are that one's presently getting ready for the second edition publishing. Uh, so, uh, but the first edition is still available, um, and they are all available on Amazon. You, you can go type my name in or any of those types of the books right in Amazon. It should pop up for you, or you can go to my website, kevinsimmons.com, K-E-V-I-N-S-Y-M-O-N-D-S.com, and you'll see like the books writings tabs at uh, towards the top of the website. Click on that, and you'll. Link, the links they will take you right to them okay Kevin we're so happy that you came on this was a really enjoyable and informative show I want to thank you very very much and uh, God bless you and have a great weekend thank you very much you too <laughs>